Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. So I think I've had four uh, practice discussions last night and today, and there was enough going on in our discussions that that could be the whole talk, but it's not going to be because I already did this other thing. But <laughs> one, one thing is um, remembering something Peg said, that, that all these meditation practices get us kind of in the, in the place where we can really do meditation. So they're kind of like an on-ramp. And then saying that, you know, everything you say is kind of the opposite truth also. So saying that, when we read in, in the Satipatthana that, that the Buddha or the monks, here we go. The, uh, there is a case where a monk having gone to the wilderness, to the shade of a tree or to an empty building, sits down folding his legs crosswise holding his body erect and setting mindfulness in the fore. Always mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. It's not like that's before the meditation, but that's, that's the whole business also. So it, it starts very quickly. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is we're dealing all the time with this idea of small mind and big mind, the relative and the absolute. You know, the body doesn't exist and then the body does exist. And um, my talk about the body is going to be mostly about how it's empty. And then Joel's going to add a few words about how it's full. So, um, and the challenge is seeing these two things simultaneously, the empty and the full, not to see them as separate. Uh, and our whole life is, is kind of tied up in these dualisms that um, just, Geez, I just wrote, don't get tangled. That's a tangling. So in the sensing Ming, don't get tangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. So that's kind of our, uh, our words for seeing both the small mind and the big mind together. So first, um, I've been, confused about this bit about internally and externally that we hear in the the monk um, sees this does this internally externally and i'm going to read a little bit but from analio on that what the distinction is and it really relates to the relationality that we try to practice here at Apamata. the implications of the reference to internal and external practice are not immediately obvious. Various interpretations have been proposed. What remains certain is that this part of the refrain points to the need to be comprehensive in our cultivation of Satipatthana. The interpretation that to my mind makes the most sense from a practical viewpoint is to take external as referring to others. Our own body is made up of anatomical parts and elements, and after death, we'll go through the stages of decay of a corpse. 
The same holds for the bodies of others. We react to certain experiences with pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feelings. The last is more literally not painful, not pleasant. And do so, and so do others. We experience certain mental states, including the hindrances and awakening factors, and so do others. And it's really important that uh, a big part of, of India, at least at this time, was the charnel grounds where bodies would decay. And just seeing us in our best days and then we're off to like either a nursing home or something like that and then we're put into a casket that's in kind of a concrete box and thing. We're, we're not seeing the whole picture. So I think that's important to, to uh, that in India, they actually did where they saw the whole picture of, of birth to life to death and then to rebirth, you know, however you get uh, um, disposed. There was a Chan master in St. Louis who was driving along with his monks. They stopped at a peach stand where there were two vendors, both with identical peaches at different prices. He bought some from both. His monks were confused. As they drove down the road, they asked. They both have to make a living, he said. Linda asked at dinner, why would you contemplate something externally? Why would you walk around in charnel grounds as bodies are decaying? It sounds so gross, she said. A member of our Talmud class used to sit around and wash bodies with his body with his buddies before the bodies were laid to rest. So he described this activity as being tender and meaningful. So this isn't part of our normal everyday activity. In the sutra, we'll read, breathing in long, he discerns, I am breathing in long. This is not about an exercise of controlling your breath, but rather simply one of noticing how you are breathing. And if you notice, we don't do any, at Apamata, we don't do any controlling of the breath. And to again answer Linda, but sitting with someone and feeling their breath, we can be more in tune with ourselves and with others. Peg describes the, this external practice as the relational aspect. We learn to both see ourselves better and to connect with others. I had an uncle who was a doctor. He once marveled to me that his work was possible because we were mostly constructed in the same way. Emily, a dietitian who's here today with us, told me that people tell her, my problem is I love food, where she answers, you don't love it enough. Emily, would you say more? Yes, I love that. And um, as soon as I hear people say, my problem is I love food, I stop and think, well, why is that a problem? And it implies to me that they consider food um, a forbidden pleasure, something that's good, bad, right, wrong, should, shouldn't versus a healthy pleasure, something that is 
they're completely neutral about. It's life-sustaining and life-affirming. And when it's neutral, it's a completely physically connected experience. And they're in touch with their body's innate pleasure distress system of communication. So it's really the way the body communicates its need. So to love food is to be fully engaged in a physically um, connected experience. Thank you. And I, I hope you can see the connection between the Satipatthana and, and, and this being aware of what you're eating. We talked about this the other night when I said people think of mindfulness as a task rather than a place to be. This is a muscle memory that one develops. And that's, that's a tough challenge. I knew a guy who was a school photographer for Washington University for 40 years. Every day, four days, all day long, he lifted that camera to his eye and shot pictures. He was a graceful dancer, the way his, the camera moved to his eye and then down again. I just saw him take one picture, but I could see something that you wouldn't be able to do if you hadn't taken 50,000 pictures. It was so beautiful to watch him. So think sap, soft, first you get soft, then you get aware, and then you get present. Easy is the word, like my dog would sleep soundly by the woodpile until something would emerge, soft. We've all seen that in an animal. You wear yourself out and never make it to aware and present if you try too hard. Here's the part on the, of the sutra on the body that we read last night. And how does a monk remain focused on the body in and of itself? Here is a case where a monk, so am I reading this, think about the softness. Having gone to the wilderness, to the shade of the tree, or to an empty building, sits down folding his legs crosswise holding his body erect and setting mindfulness to the fore, the front of his chest. Always mindful, he breathes in. Mindful, he breathes out. Breathing in long, he discerns. I am breathing in long and breathing out long, he discerns. I am breathing out long. Or breathing in short, he discerns. I am breathing in short and breathing out short, he discerns. I am breathing out short. He trains himself. I will breathe in sensitive to the entire body. He trains himself. I will breathe out sens <coughs> sensitive to the entire body. He trains himself. I will breathe in calming bodily fabrication. He trains himself. I will breathe out calming bodily fa fabrication. <coughs> Just as a skilled turner or his apprentice when making a long turn discerns, I am making a long turn. When making a short turn discerns, I am making a short turn. In the same way the monk, when breathing in long discerns, I am breathing in long. And breathing out long, he discerns, I am breathing out long. He trains himself. I will breathe in calming bodily fabrication. He trains himself. I will breathe out calming 
bodily fabrication. So even as we drive home, we can say to ourselves, I am driving home. I'm driving fast. I'm driving slow. I'm driving carefully. I'm driving recklessly. My mind is on the road. My mind is not on the road. In this way, he remains focused internally on the body in and of itself or externally on the body in and of itself or both internally and externally on the body in and of itself. Or he remains focused on the phenomena of origination with regard to the body, on the phenomena of passing away with regard to the body, on the phenomena of origination and passing away with regard to the body. Or his mindfulness that there is a body is maintained to the extent of knowledge and remembrance. And he remains independent, unsustained by anything in the world. This is how a monk remains focused on the body and of itself. Now we'll go into groups of three or four for 15 minutes. For four minutes, say to yourself, I am sitting. At first, it may be hard and gradually make it soft. So it's kind of like a grayscale. You're going from I am sitting to I am sitting. I did a class once where we had to sit opposite a person and say that I love you. And we had to do it in a hundred shades of gray from I can't stand the sight of you as I'm saying I love you to I really, 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 really love you. And so we're going to do this with the saying I am sitting and just become to embody that those words. Then as you soften, say to yourself, I am sitting, but this time being awake as when you walk outside to a blue sky and a cool breeze. And after enjoying that, continue to say, I am sitting, but this time become present to the glorious space you become. Now take four minutes each and share one at a time your sap experience, soft, awake, present. So what we're going to do is, is go into to, uh, groups of three or four. We're going to have three groups in the Zendo that people online are going to connect to. One in here, one in the practice discussion room, and one in the study. And this is going to be the first time we've ever done this. <laughs> and maybe the first time it's ever been done. Um, I have... Uh, I think they're going to put in the chat the instructions. I am sitting. And then after you do that, you're going to discuss taking four minutes apiece um, what this experience um, did for you. We are now going to do it. 20 minute or so meditation with Analio. This one is on the body. Uh, on the course of the intensive, we'll be doing five of these. And um, just let it move through you. And then after the meditation is over, we'll be sitting for another about 10 minutes.
in silence. just as the body rests on the cushion and without losing this whole body awareness we will now proceed to practice the first spoke in the wheel of our satipatthana meditation contemplation of the anatomical parts simplified to skin, flesh and bones undertaken with the help of three body scans. Starting on top of the head we are aware of the scalp area with the knowledge that there is skin. No need to force we shift to the face, the facial area, aware of this part of the body, knowing there's skin. From the face to the neck, aware of this part of the body, with the knowledge there's skin. From the neck to one shoulder, left or right, doesn't matter. Choosing one shoulder, aware of that part of the body with the knowledge, this skin. From the shoulder to the upper arm, skin. Lower arm, skin, and the hand, skin. Shifting attention to the other shoulder, skin, upper arm, skin. Lower arm, skin, and the hand, skin. Shifting attention to the upper half of the front of the torso, front of the torso, upper half, knowing that there's skin in that part of the body. From the upper half to the lower half, lower half of front of torso, knowing there's skin. Shifting attention to the back of the torso, upper half, 
upper half, back of torso, knowing this skin. And the lower half of the back of the torso, skin. Shifting attention to one of the hips, left or right, doesn't matter. Choosing one hip area, knowing that there's skin. From the hip to the upper leg, skin. Lower leg, skin, and the foot, skin, the other hip, skin, upper leg, skin, lower leg, Skin and the foot. Skin. And we are aware of this whole body in the sitting posture as covered by skin. Skin including hairs and nails. And we cultivate an attitude of non-attachment towards the skin similar to looking at various grains in a bag, in a bag used for sewing. Balanced attitude, non-attachment, just skin after all. In the next scan for flesh, we start where we left off, that foot where we ended the scan for the skin. We start with that foot, aware of that part of the body, with the knowledge there's some flesh, muscles, tendons, whatever it is. There's some flesh in this part of the body. And from the foot to the lower leg, away of that part of the body and knowing there's flesh. Upper leg, flesh. And the hip. Flesh, the other foot, flesh, lower leg, flesh, 
upper leg, flesh, into hip, flesh, lower half of torso, flesh, upper half of torso, flesh, shifting attention to one hand, left or right, doesn't matter, away of that hand with the knowledge there's flesh in that part of the body. And from the hand to the lower arm, flesh, upper arm, flesh, and the shoulder, flesh. Shifting attention to the other hand, flesh, lower arm, flesh, upper arm, flesh, shoulder, flesh, neck, flesh and the head flesh and we are aware of this whole body in the sitting posture of its fleshy parts muscles, tendons, organs whatever it is all included under flesh and we cultivate an attitude of non-attachment. Similar to looking at various grains. Just flesh after all. and the bones, starting with the head, away of the head, knowing that there are bones, the skull, the teeth, just bones. No need to strain in an attempt to distinctly sense every single bone Enough for our purposes just to be aware of that part of the body and knowing that there are bones. From the head to the neck, bones. From the neck 
to one shoulder, bones, upper arm, bones, lower arm, bones, and the hand, bones. The other shoulder, bones, upper arm, bones, lower arm, bones, and the hand, bones, upper half of torso, Bones, lower half of torso, bones, one hip, bones, upper leg, bones, lower leg, bones. And the foot, bones, the other hip, bones, upper leg, bones, lower leg, bones, and the foot, bones. And we are aware of this whole body in the sitting posture of its bones. Cultivating an attitude of non-attachment. Similar to looking at various grains. Just bones after all. Just skin, flesh and bones. And having cultivated an attitude of non-attachment and also rooted mindfulness in whole body awareness, we are now ready to open up to open awareness. Open awareness of anything that might manifest at any of the six sense doors. Just aware of it. With the strong post of whole body awareness, firmly rooted, we are able to open up to six sense to experience in whatever way it unfolds. Just aware.
and aware of it as changing phenomena. Whatever manifests, it is impermanent. Just the flow of experience, its process character. That is what we keep knowing, understanding. Changing phenomena, just a flow, just a flux. And sooner or later, mind is bound to get distracted. Whenever we notice, smilingly, smilingly we realize, oh, mind has taken me for a ride. And with that inner smile, free from aversion, negativity, we just come back to the present moment with the understanding, present moment is the only time when I can truly live. I cannot live in the past. I cannot live in the future. Present moment, here and now, is the only time for me. And if that distraction was a shorter one, we simply come back to the present moment. But if it was a long distraction, mind has really taken us for a long ride, we completely forgot about our practice, then we might decide to do another body scan. Cultivating non-attachment and also giving mindfulness a chance to be rooted again through this gradual moving through the body. And depending on the situation and our personal preferences, we might do this scan slow. So this is about elements and space. But what's interesting about elements in the Satipatthana and Buddhism is they're not, I believe it was the Greeks who had elements as the basic, basic thing, like we have the elemental the, uh, the table of elements. Yeah. But in in um, Buddhism, they're a lot more like vows, where there are th energy fields that move through you as opposed to being actual uh, physical uh, structures. Though so what we are going to look at are the four elements and where they abide. I want to first say a cautionary word about mindfulness 
which can be taken as a be-all and end-all. And, and this is true, you know, I know of my whole life, you catch on to something and then you think that's the tool, right? And I always love to buy tools and then I think I can do everything with it. And there's that old, old uh, thing about trying to, to um, drive a screw into the wall with a hammer. And, and I think intuitively it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, Dan? <laughs> that it would work you see the you know the screw like this and, and you think that if you hit it it will just start spinning <laughs> anyway there is a book love is not enough about the treating of autism in children in the same way that love is not enough mindfulness is not enough for there also has to be insight to end suffering Mindfulness is not enough, for there also has to be insight to end suffering. Mindfulness by itself is not a magic bullet, but also insight is not possible without mindfulness. Insight to me is a special form of listening. This is similar to the difference of empathy and compassion that we've often talked about here, where empathy might come from deep listening it won't by itself generate helpful action. The importance of the elements is that they are a helpful way to see emptiness and impermanence. Emptiness, what are we empty of? A permanent abiding self. So it's not like nothing, but it's also not like something. Not only in us, Thing. Buddha surprisingly talks of a butcher who is cutting up a cow at the side of the road. Surprisingly, he used this simile because being a butcher was not life right livelihood. But there is an idea of upaya or skillful means where he used whatever conveyed a point. The butcher labels the part. This is the heart. This is the feet, etc. But would he ever find the cow? Would we ever find a self if we separated our parts? If you've ever been with a person who has passed away, you know that that's not them. In fact, for a while, they were weighing people in New York. Just, you know about this? They were weighing people to see if they weighed any differently after they died, and they found they did. But then, then they tried to repeat that experiment like they do all experiments. That, and there was no change. Anyway, it's a nice story. I liked it better when there was something that went away because you certainly feel that when you're with someone who's passed away, something's gone. Would we ever find a self if we separated our parts? And if we took our arm and separated it into bones and skins and so on, where would the arm be? That clinging to a person, Permanent self is one of our self-centered dreams that causes suffering, because no sooner do you have it the way you want it, that it changes and we are devastated. So Buddha's solution to the suffering is to imagine that we are just composed of five elements with space in between. But it isn't like a recipe where we are one part earth, two parts water, three parts wind, four parts fire. 
all of these elements move through us and through space. They are simply energy. They are not us. We rub our earths together and we make fire. We take in wind and we expel wind. Wind isn't just breath, but motion. But we are, we are our motion, our water, our fire, our earth. I asked my son earlier if his dinner was now him. He didn't answer partly because he's in Philly and his roof is leaking. Motion, water, earth, and as he runs, fire. Later, he texted me back, you is wonky. <laughs> I think he likes double meanings. After contemplating the body, we end up believing that there is a body that is ours. Suppose we put a cough drop in our mouth. Is it then part of our body? Suppose it disintegrates into our digestive system. Is it now part of our body? And suppose we dispose of it later in the day. Did we lose part of our body? Satipatthana is a matter of dwelling independently without clinging to anything. The benefit of the body meditation that we did this morning is that we move our attention from what's outside us to what is inside us. The shortcoming of the body meditation is that we might end up clinging to the idea that we have a permanent self. The awareness of the elements and space is a path toward equipose, which is a word that Analio uses instead of equanimity. He defines equipose as the superb balance of the mind. So equanimity is often taken as like zoning out and he wants to really get away from that. So it's more the superb balance of the mind. One of my painting teachers would say that all space is a variation of density. If we look through electron microscope and point it at the skin, we see that molecules are landing and jumping off. Unless you use an arbitrary definition of you, you can't say for certain where you end and the rest of the world begins. This was especially clear when my germs became my wife's germs and she got sick. Can I really say they were mine and then became hers? Analio writes that insight into the empty nature of the body by contemplating its elements has its natural counterpart in the opening of the heart to kindness and compassion. Insight, I'm going to read that again, insight into the empty nature of the body by contemplating its elements has its natural counterpart in the opening of the heart to kindness and compassion. Should the absence of a self in bodily existence be experienced as a threat, emphasis on the opening of the heart and our interconnectedness with others and with outside nature can serve as a remedy. After all, what might seem in danger of being lost are just the narrow confines of a restricted and restricting sense of identity. So we, we get back to this idea that our suffering is called by, caused by clinging. He goes on, wet material can be used to put a fire out, whereas adding dry firewood will, take the fire, will make the fire flare up. The appropriateness of each type of material depends on the condition of the fire and what we want to do with it. If the fire is small, 
and we want to flare it up, it is appropriate to add firewood and inappropriate to use wet material. So you can, you can make the equivalence of uh, sometimes in the afternoon you're tired and you need fire and sometimes in the morning after you've had four cups of coffee, you're not tired, you know, then you want something else. The opposite holds for a big fire that we wish to reduce or put out. The same applies for the cultivation of the awakening factors, mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Similar to the varying conditions of a fire, at times our mind might be slightly sluggish and at other times slightly excited. And someone was mentioning uh, today in one of the discussions about um, you know, what, what meditation system should they use? And, and that's, and Analia writes about that, that where one might be good one day, you know, you need a different one another day. And so you have to keep, keep kind of on the ball. Just like an artist might, you know, one day drawing might be a good thing and another day sculpture, another day painting. Noticing with mindfulness such minor fluctuations enables us to take the appropriate action. When the mind has become slightly sluggish, this is a time to give more emphasis to the first group of three. Giving emphasis to investigation of dharmas, energy, and joy will energize the mind and bring it back into balance. It would be unskillful at such times to give emphasis to the other three awakening factors that rather have a calming effect. And that's all analio. So we are the gatekeeper for these elements. Drink too much water and you will drown. Bury yourself in the earth and you will suffocate. Too much fire and you will burn and too much wind and you will get blown apart. So back to you, Paya, Paya meaning skillful means, we skillfully balance the elements to curtail our suffering and that of others. Analio writes about different actions depending on our state of mind. With any mind, and, and he does kind of a chart like this, so with any mind you cultivate mindfulness, when you have a sluggish mind, you cultivate investigation, energy, joy. When you have an agitated mind, you cultivate tranquility, concentration, equipose. And when you want to let go, you cultivate seclusion, dispassion, and cessation. And part of, I think, what will happen when you um, really investigate what's going on is you'll be able to find what you need and then do it. So sluggish mind, cultivate investigation, energy, and joy. An agitated mind, cultivate tranquility, concentration, equipose. And when you want to let go, cultivate seclusion, dispassion, and cessation. The more you are able to allow these things to end, to be at peace with cessation and recognize its peacefulness, the better we will be at letting go. I, I, it's in, actually, I have it on my phone, but uh, have you heard of Marcus Aurelius? He's, he was a Roman. He said uh, something like, uh, let's see if I remember it. You are dead. Now, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? 
there's there's some line in there about eliminating everything that's happened is is gone and then now now what now what sometimes as a as a teacher we would think that with a new semester that was kind of cool you know you have a new semester you can start all over so take your arm and let it drop that's letting go it's so easy isn't it so can we do that just take your arm and let it go it's not easy is it you're a dancer it, it's easier with the arm than other things <laughs> you mean life yeah <laughs> i was always told i'm not very good at this feels good to me i don't know Analio also writes, assimilate in the Samyutta Nikaya describes a hen sitting on her eggs. Due to her relenting, relenting sitting on the eggs, eventually the chicks will break the eggshells and hatch. In the same way, due to our unrelenting sitting on the meditation seat, eventually we will break the shell of ignorance and awakening will take place. So this is a really important um, thing to me is, is that the eventually, eventually, uh, you know, and our frustration comes usually when it doesn't come fast enough. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, well, it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare where uh, just being present, just showing up, just trying every day, is, is so easy compared to uh, some kind of skillful action. I used to run this photo lab and um, I keep telling the students, if you could just come and work and leave, your whole life will just blossom. But many people can't do that. Come to a job, do it and, and leave, you know, they, they uh, well, I'm not gonna go today or, something like that. It, it's just amazing how that's kind of the easiest thing to do, just to be there. Eventually, we will break the shell of ignorance and awakening will take place. It will occur in our own time. Our job is simply to make sure the appropriate conditions are in place, but the experience itself cannot be made or forced to, act, forced to happen. To try to do so would have the opposite results as we would be directly contrary to what is most needed for awakening to take place, letting go. Um, and that's an alio and it's about trying, you know, and how counterproductive trying is. The four elements exist in space. Matter is mostly space and maybe nothing more than space. Just as a library is more than a collection of books, space is more than a collection of elements. We normally don't look at space. And when I read that, I, I, uh, I was really amazed. You know, like as you look around the room, are you seeing the space? Or are you seeing us and the floor and the ceiling? And one of the things, you know, we often do as visual artists is to start to look at the space and draw the space. 
Space is more than a collection of elements. We don't really know. Look, artists learn that it is the shape between things that create their compositions. Dancers move through space, defining the space as they caress it with their bodies. I don't know, is that true? Oh, yes. Okay, good. I've never been a dancer. For <laughs> many of us. Kenyon feels like that. Moving through space and flowing with it. <clears throat> I once um, danced through the streets, taking pictures of car lights at night and letting the camera kind of flow with me. And my teacher was very, very critical. And he said, you don't know how to dance. Why didn't you give your camera to a dancer? <laughs> he was wonderful. For many of us, our entire world exists in the phenomena that we perceive through our sense organs. Buddhism includes the mind as the sixth sense organ. This is not the mind as it ponders. It is mental objects included what is perceived by the other senses. These elements that move through us move in space. They are space as well. And we should have gratitude for this space because they depend on it for their life. We can direct our mind to see that space, even if none of the five senses see it. And, and something that struck me, somehow I, I didn't mention it, but uh, Analio talks about how our entire world mostly is from here to the things that we sense. And, and yet there's so much going on if we look in the other direction. It is, uh, even if none of the five senses see it, it is a place of refuge. It is a place to recognize an invisible energy, energetic field that we are part of forever. Rather than living in a 2,000 square foot house, we can live in a space that is boundless in all four dimensions. That's the end. I went to, this was at the college art conference and some, I think graduate student probably gave a talk. And then at the end, she said, well, I'm done. That's another thing for my resume or something. <laughs> <laughs> Go into, this is our activity. And how much time is left, Dan or Stephanie? Oh, Good. And what I want you to do in the breakout rooms, and also Emily has it, I think, to share, uh, for four minutes contemplating, contemplate the four elements wind, fire, water, and earth, and how they dance in space. And remember, these are not physical things, but they're energies. See where that takes you. And I have this to hand out to the different groups too, here. Okay, I'm gonna say it again. For four minutes, contemplate the four elements, water, wind, fire, and earth. And these words are taken very loosely. Like wind is is breath, but wind is you. Uh, Connie probably knows this these qigong stuff that all of acupuncture and Oriental medicine. Yes, yeah. we call them phases rather than what we call them phases rather phases. Than that's really beautiful. So it's movement, but it's also not being able to move when you want to be. Like Parkinson's is a wind condition, both when you're tremoring and when you get 
stacks, both wind. Both wind. Then take four minutes each to talk about where you went on this miraculous journey. So this is a complete new um, way of, of being. Being with these, you're not um, skin and bones, which we just went through with the body, but you're, you're this energetic field. May I ask? Yes. Because I don't want to be confused in the process of doing this. These energies do not relate to emotional energies. They relate to bodily energies, like when you're running or jogging or sitting, resting or breathing. Is that correct? That's my understanding. Okay. okay. So that's a way to work with them. Okay. Thank you. Oh, and I want to say something else. Um, I don't know if I talked about this morning about Yes, I did, about the real, the absolute, and the relative, and the small mind and big mind. I didn't say anything about that. So there's there's two sides of the coin, because um, we get sent off to a mental institution if, if we, we told people, oh, we're not really here, we're just this energy field. And so the, what's What's difficult and what's really important in Buddhism is that there's this combination. We're both. We're both here as cellular structures and we're here as energy fields and keeping those two together. Oh, and then I, I read a little from the um, Xin Qing Ming this morning about that too. Don't get tangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. Mm -hmm. So, so, so it's really easy to um, to drown if you go one place or the other, and keeping these in balance is important. Not to. Not to. So, any questions before we go into the breakout rooms? <clears throat> and we'll have three rooms here. Basically, contemplate the four elements and how they dance in space. That's your only instruction. I keep the instructions small because um, it's hard for me to, uh, when I hear long expressions, it's hard for me to, um, to do them. So four elements, wind, water, fire, energy, how do they dance in space? So Kim? And you could take one at a time, like feel the wind, feel the water, feel the fire, feel the earth, and also maybe feel what you need at this moment. Do I need fire? Do I need earth? Do I need water to put out the fire? Does that make sense in, in your world, Connie? It does. They all nourish one another and they all control one another. Go on, Rosemary. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. The, the exploration is both um, these uh, energies in and through the body as well as outside? I mean, good. Yes, internal yes. and external. Okay, thank you. And thanks for clarifying that because that's really important. And my little point about the electron microscope on our skin, that there's no real division between internal and external. You know, we're all dissolving. We're all just, as my teacher said, variation of densities. So you could say to people, you're really dense. 
No, you shouldn't say that. That will be taken well. If uh, people would like to say something about this experience to them, and I asked Michael if <laughs> we were, you want to sit in the seat, and you, um, Emily, you could spotlight the three of us. Is this being recorded? Yes. Okay. So if you want to sit in the seat, in the hot seat, in the hot seat, yes. Thank you, Emily. And, so, and Michael, you, we were talking about the relationship between the elements and space. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. And so, and the question was about space and time. And what occurred to me is that uh, space and time provide um, this place in which the elements can operate. Without space and time, there would be no place for them to operate. They would just sort of be in a vacuum. And so having space and time allows them to take certain kinds of form that feels unique to each one of us. And we each have a different mix of those elements at different times. But without that container, nothing would happen. And the word you used specifically was dance which I thought was really powerful, a visual powerful, that having that space, this is how they, because I couldn't figure out how they intersect, connect. Mm -hmm. And you said having that space is how they dance. Okay. Yeah, we, that we, makes we, sense in quantum physics too, mm -hmm. that until, well, some books, the Big Bang Theory. Do you want to switch? No. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Until the, some quantum theorists speculate or, or theorize that until the Big Bang Theory occurred, and they don't picture it, some of them don't picture it the way it's been talked to as, as a blowout. It's more still a balloon expanding. Time and space did not exist, and everything existed in one unified mush. So just one an entity. There was no separation of you, me, or anything else. And that when the Big Bang occurred, whatever that was, that's when time-space simultaneously was created and the distinguishing characteristics and the container, which is time and space holding all these differences. And just to Did I state that correctly? That sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a physicist, but also that in the vacuum, because of quantum theory, things appear. Things and their opposites appear. And that's sort of a lot of what the matter of our, the universe is. And also likely what these four elements are. That is, they didn't exist and they pop out of nowhere mm -hmm. and do their thing. And then they go away. And it could be that there's only space and no time. The time is just a fabrication, which we had an intensive about. Mm -hmm. I don't know quite with Dogen's being time. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I've never understood that or a single word of that. But I can say, <laughs> I can say, having been the fundraiser for the astronomy department 
and gotten to work with a bunch of astrophysicists that um, uh, Albert Einstein proved, and it's been shown experimentally, that you can change time with gravity, just as you can change space with gravity. And in fact, that gravity, that space and time are not separate, even phases, they are one thing. Uh, and uh, my former boss, uh, Frank Bash, uh, the head of McDonald Observatory at the time, would often get asked at public talks, well, what, what was there before the Big Bang? Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, there was no before. All, it's not like the matter was there and got exploded into space. Mm -hmm. All the space and the time were in there as well. So it's more like, as you said, a balloon mm -hmm. where everything is together. And uh, even what we, you know, in our naive conception, consider separate elements or, or uh, ways of, of holding things, you know, like a, yeah, I like something to, think to expand of into. The space in, in this sense is being everything else besides these four elements. So mm -hmm. space and time all together, they're like a broader word than, mm -hmm. than this thing that exists at this instant between me and Connie. So the, the one other thing I'd like to say, okay, slightly different thing is that we all ended up with water being very, very significant. And our bodies are 90% water and the earth is mostly water uh, as well. And so I thought it was very interesting that that's where we mm. uh, converged to. Not that the others are unimportant, it's just that they led us that way. That's what it sounded like to me. And also, also, what's your big, your big deal? Is it fire? Is it earth? You know, and what things are you kind of shying away from seem to be important. Did anyone experience an element as, and I'll give you an example because this is how I experience it, as different than its basic understanding, like, Water. Well, I experience hail as fire because when it hits you, it burns. Mm -hmm. If you've never been in a hailstorm, then you don't know what that burn is. There's a burn. So, so it's hard for me to kind of put a, a flow feeling on water because it takes so many different forms mm -hmm. and, and each has its own energy. Because ice burns. Yay. So one thing that I've been pondering recently is particle wave theory and the sense that we are all manifestations of the wave. And that came to me again as I was working with the elements and just the sense that we are manifestations of the great wave. <laughs> Picturing the what is the picture of the big wave in the boat with the mountain? When, when Emily was talking about that, that's the picture I see. Anyone else? It's almost to us here. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so, um what I really enjoyed in the group was the um, I just, I really like the space between uh, us. You know, we've been talking about spaces before, Kim, 
And as we each, you know, um, talked about what the elements, you know, what what came to us in our meditation, um, it was just um, lovely to, um, you know, to be with my three other folks there and experience the space between us. That was really important to me, and a lot of warmth too. Even though we're a computer here. Thanks. I was I would say just one of the either you said it or somebody before we left is like think about how you experience yourself and what elements seem to be missing for you like and I, I you know trying to I, I feel like I'm trying to put square pegs into a round hole but but I do feel like this is a spotlight here now uh, just that that I I think of myself as being sedentary and quiet and and, uh, and I experience a lot of erosion in my life you know erosion of capabilities and all that stuff so I see myself as having a lot of water and, and dirt or earth kind of qualities in 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 just my action in daily life and how I react to things but that what what Rosemarie just said that um, having the opportunity to practice and to practice with other people and particularly Abhimada people is very energetic or very energizing for me and gives me fire and you know the desire for awakening I don't think the desire for awakening would last a week without reinforcement from being able to speak with other people and to see the example and you know the kindness and compassion and, and energy and and equanimity that other people bring so. i have a, a an art test that i do use when i go to like a museum or when i see anyone's work and does this encourage me to want to do art or not mm. and whether it's like good or terrible or you know whatever's happening that's really important to me and i think that connects to what you're talking about how people energize your fire mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but i i look for that like what's energizing and what isn't and i'm a fire energy person i'm young i'm a leo <laughs> and so this grounds me enough to focus so interesting connecting grounds and now we have we can stop spotlighting and we have tea <laughs> <laughs>